Good morning, and welcome to the lecture corresponding to Chapter 5 of Economics 1500. Well, from Chapter 4, we should have left Chapter 4 with a healthy appreciation for Adam Smith's Invisible Hand and how Adam Smith's Invisible Hand harnesses self-interest and produces socially desirable outcomes. In other words, the market system, which is nothing more than Adam Smith's invisible hand, is a very efficient mechanism excuse me, of allocating resources and producing uh, the, social, the, the social needs, uh, the needs of society. And although, in general, we want to recognize that markets are efficient, uh, a couple things we need to do. We need to be more specific, I guess, what we mean by efficiency, although we, put a, we did a little bit of that in chapter chapter 4, as I recall, but uh, we need to know what what we mean a little more precisely when we say efficiency. And we just want to recognize that markets in, are in general efficient. And that's why the world, for the most part, nations around the world have adopted markets as the primary means of allocating resources. But we also just want to take a step backwards and recognize that markets fell and consequently that uh, that yields a uh, or, or justifies government or the public sector. So we have two. You know, we can think of two sectors, and the public sector is government. So we have those two sectors that com together comprise the economic system. Well, we generally rely upon markets, but we we allow government to do some things. Uh, the question is why. Well. First, let's, concern, let's, let's, let's go back and talk about efficiency. If you haven't already, please call up the slides for Chapter 5, as I'm going to do. As I click here and go to, go to Chapter 5 slides for Boys and Melvin's 6th edition, and then let's just start with slide 3, if you will. Uh, two notions, and, and while you're doing this, I, I wish you would draw, draw a production possibility curve. Uh, remember, just two dimensions. Put put food on the vertical axis and and guns on the horizontal axis, and draw a boat out production possibility curve, because that'll help us, I think, understand what is meant by technical and economic efficiency. Uh, technical efficiency just means we're getting the most output from our resource base. In other words, we're on the production possibility curve. But we could be on the production possibility curve. We could achieve a technical we could achieve technical efficiency in a society, but we could be producing the wrong combination. If we're at a point on our production possibility curve, which is mostly guns, but society wants butter, or, or wants more food, even though we're producing on the production possibility curve, we could reallocate resources and produce more food, and society would be better off if that's what individuals who make up society want. So economic efficiency is, is a little... Uh, it's it's a step beyond technical efficiency. Economic efficiency, in terms of the production possibility curve, means we're on the production possibility curve at the right point. But another way of just in words talking about economic efficiency, it means you you have allocated resources such that you cannot make one person better off without making another one worse off. You can't and to think about that. You couldn't undertake any action or or more precisely, you couldn't reallocate resources, produce more of one good or or, or uh, less of another good, or change how you produce goods, but you couldn't undertake an action that would make one person better off without making anybody else worse off. 
Now you could undertake the we could undertake think of all sorts of economic actions that could make one person better off without making with uh, uh, by making somebody else worse off. Uh, I could take a dollar from you, give it to me. That would make me better off, but it make you, you worse off. So that action is not necessarily economically efficient. But if resources in a society are, are allocated such that you cannot do that, that is, you cannot reallocate resources to make someone better off without anybody else being worse off, then that allocation of resources is said to be economic efficiency. Now, it's it's it's, it's kind of a surprising and, and marvelous outcome, if you will, that in general, markets tend, tend to achieve economic efficiency. In other words, individual self-interest will re result in a set of prices and a combination of goods produced and the way we produce those goods such that you cannot reallocate resources to make somebody better off without making somebody else worse off. Markets are efficient, but not always. Uh, but we want we want to understand that. We, we want because because if we start with that proposition that markets are efficient, then the burden of proof is on government to justify its behavior or its economic actions. And one thing you should do as an intelligent voter and citizen is is understand why markets are efficient and why markets may fail because then you can understand and be able to judge proposals for government action. Well, what are the sources of market failure? Go to slide four. There are five we're going to go through briefly and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, there are five identifiable reasons we're going to discuss that will cause the market in other words, Adam Smith's invisible hand, which is nothing more, remember, than individual self-interest, cause a market system characterized by individual self-interest from achieving economic efficiency. One is imperfect information. If you go to slide five. Now just think about this. We, we, when you go out to undertake an action as a consumer, you're only going to undertake that action, if you're rational, if the marginal benefit to you exceeds the marginal cost to you associated with that decision. You're going to buy an orange. It costs a dollar. Now the only reason you would buy that orange for a dollar is if you subjectively think the marginal benefit to you is at least a dollar or more. If you th thought the subjective value of the orange to you was 80 cents, and you still paid a dollar, well, by definition, you're irrational. But we assume in economics that people are rational. So only undertake an action if costs, the marginal cost to them is less than the marginal benefit. But do you always know as a consumer the marginal costs and the marginal benefits associated with the decision? Now, you normally know the cost because that's the price. But you don't always know the benefit. Have you ever bought a used car and been disappointed? And if you had to do it over again, you wouldn't have made that decision? Well, if you make a decision for which it turns out that the benefits are less than the cost to you, well, you made a poor decision. And you're worse off, and since you're part of society, society's worse off if that trade takes place. So this poor information will, will, will either result in 
trades or actions by purchases, purchases and sales. For example, think of buying a car. That's an economic action. That's a trade. It'll either result in trades taking place that shouldn't have taken place, but but perhaps as importantly or more importantly, it'll prevent trades from taking place. Because if you're in a situation where you don't have good information, you'll avoid making purchases or you'll avoid under other economic actions. You just won't do it. You'll avoid it. Well, markets have a way of getting around this. That's one reason franchises are so important or so successful and brand names are so successful. When you franchises and brand names are a way of conveying information. Isn't that a commercial something about information? But that's what a brand name does. Now, I'm not a big fan of of McDonald's, but I I'm a, I'm a decent fan, I guess, of McDonald's. Uh I mean, I I I I go to McDonald's quite often. I I travel uh, not a lot, but too often. I, I travel more than I really want to. Uh, and when I'm in, say, some place in a hotel in San Francisco and I walk out and, and around the block looking for a place to eat, I'll see all kinds of little places, but uh, and I don't know a lot of this. I don't know what, I don't know, you know, what I'm going to get in a lot of these little restaurants or little uh, shops and so, but I know if there's a little McDonald's, I know what I'm going to get. I know what the price is, I know the I know the cost and I know the benefit. So I'll walk into McDonald's. A lot of people are the same. So McDonald's is so successful. It's the same everywhere. Or brand names. Uh, uh, if, you, if, if you're buying a pair of boots, you know, I know red wing boots are pretty good. I've had red wing boots in the past. And I could buy another off-brand, a no-name pair of boots, but I, work boots, but I'm not sure what I'd get. So I... Why not just buy brand? Why not buy Red Wings? I'll know what I get. So that's the idea. But the government also takes a role uh, in this, in providing information to allow markets to work better. See, here we have, already have a justification for government. We have in the United States a, a, a very sophisticated and complex financial system that, in some respects, is the envy of the world because of that complex, complex, and open. Uh, financial system, we attract capital from around the world. And one reason our capital markets, our financial systems are so successful is the openness, the information that's available. You have, as a, as a potential saver or purchaser of stocks, you have a lot of information available about a, the stock of a company. And the Securities Exchange Commission, a government entity, is out there regulating the capital markets, the financial markets. Some of you are accounting majors or, or will otherwise be involved in financial markets. And some of what you will be doing is providing information, uh, good information, upon which others can base decisions. Uh, many parts of the world, we have they have problems with fraud. And consequently, uh, if you have fraudulent markets or bad information, people avoid those markets. That, and... Uh, and to the to the detriment of society. Well, let's go on to another source of market failure: externalities. Now, externalities uh, are primarily a result of the our inability as a society to define and enforce property rights. We don't externalities pop up. It's it's really a property right problem. Now, for the most part, we know in a, in, a, in, a, in the United States, for example, who owns what, and you can enforce that property right. If I buy a car. You can't use it without my consent. If you come and you steal it, I call the sheriff. Sheriff chases you down and beats you around the head with a rubber hose. 
or if I'm a farmer and grow a cornfield, uh, I can control access to that corn. And I can, if you come towards the, towards the end of the season, right before I harvest my corn, you harvest the corn and sell it. Well, again, I call the sheriff. And furthermore, I'll sue you in civil court. And not only will the sheriff beat you around the head and shoulders, after I get through with you in civil court, I'll have your house, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, you'll be living in a van down by the river. Because well, I know, we know who owns land, and we can defend and enforce property rights. And the government plays a role in that. The sheriff, government employee, the court system, provided by the government. But sometimes we don't. Ha well, it, it's difficult to define and enforce a property. I don't know who owns the air. Now I live by a dairy. Now I'm from an old dairy. I'm an old dairy farm boy myself, and I don't mind. I live out in the country. I like living in the country. But I do have a couple dairies by me, pretty, fairly close. They're my neighbors. They're about a quarter mile away, but close enough that sometimes it stinks. Particularly this time of year, for some reason, with the cool nights, the the, the air from the dairy sort of carries a little more, and we get this stench at night. Uh, now, my neighbor can't, whom I like and get along with great, don't get me wrong, my neighbor can't come down on my property and dump manure on my land. I have a property right, unless I consent. And, you know, he can, but if I don't consent, he can't. But yet he can stink the air up. And I I can't send him a bill, or I can't, uh, I can't uh, uh, solve that problem. Well, because I don't own the air. This is an example of an external cost. It's it, there's a, he's up there milking cows and engaged in dairying, and some of that cost though. You know he buys hay and he buys cows and he has to pay for equipment. But some of the some of the cost is imposed upon me. He produces manure, and that stinks and that comes over on me. Uh, if when you have this situation when costs aren't internalized, when the costs aren't entirely borne by the decision maker, then there's a tendency. Uh, for actions to be undertaken for which the marginal costs are greater than the marginal benefits because the decision maker, the dairy farmer milking cows, is only bearing part of the cost. He's getting all of the benefit. He's producing milk and selling it and get all of the benefit from producing milk, but he only bears a smaller, he only bears part of the cost because some of the costs spill over onto me. The stinky air. Now if he had to consider that cost, that is a cost of dairying, milking cows. Well, then maybe would, the cost would be so high that it wouldn't make sense to dairy. So whenever there are external costs, external to the individual who makes a decision, you may have actions that shouldn't be undertaken from society's point of view. Uh, on the other hand, marginal uh, external benefits, then we have a non-consenting party that's not directly involved in the transaction that the benefits uh, but without pain. Now, if I have a neighbor on the other side comes in and builds a beautiful home with a fine garden and, and just a, an elaborate, beautiful home, maybe that increases my property value, even though I didn't, even though I didn't consent. It helps. It benefits me. Or maybe uh, half of us go out and get flu shots, and that benefits the other half because that decreases who don't get flu shots because that decreases their chance of getting a flu. You can think of transactions you may engage in that others may benefit from without pain. Hi, this is Tyler. I'm back. I was interrupted and I, I sort, of, sort of lost my train of thought, but we were talking about externalities. Uh, the bottom line is, if there are ex costs external to the individual, that is, if there are external costs and benefits, markets will not achieve economic efficiency.
and to be more precise, if there are external benefits associated with the with uh, the production of a good, too little of that good will be produced. If there are external costs, too little of the good will be produced. And before we move on uh, away from externalities, let me just re call you to your attention the fact that uh, that we're involved here. You listening to this lecture, me giving this lecture, and uh, this relates to an external benefit. The reason government is involved in an education, we have public education, is because, it is argued at least, that there are external benefits associated with receiving an education. You go out, assume there is no public education, you would be forced to go out in a private market and purchase a, high, a college education. It would be available, there are pri private universities now. And if we totally got rid of public education, there would, there would be private education. Be more expensive. You'd have to pay the full price. Now, uh, if you did, the argument goes: if you went out and purchased a college education from the in the private sector, you would benefit. Obviously, more than likely, you'd have higher lifetime income. But the argument also goes that society in general would benefit. There'd be benefits associated with your education that you do not receive. That is the justification why we make others pay. The government, acting as the agent of the people, goes out and collects tax dollars and provides for public education. The next time you're walking around on the street in your hometown, and, uh, and I just noticed this isn't working. Uh, yeah, it is. I think it is. Next time you're walking around on your in your hometown along Main Street, just stop the, the local couple and say, I appreciate you paying for my education through your tax dollars. Let me just remind you, though, however, you, you say to these folks, that the reason you're paying for my education at Utah State University, or at least part of it, is because you're going to benefit. And they'll look at you like, well, what do you mean? And you'll have to explain to them, well, as an educated citizen, I'm going to be more productive, and I won't receive all the benefits from that productivity, and I may invent uh, a nice little uh, vaccine, perhaps, that's going to benefit society as a whole, and I won't reap all the gains myself. I'll cast better votes, and you will have a better government. You can thank me for that. So I'm going to charge you. That's the idea. Well, let's move on. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, this lecture's gone on for quite some time, even though I've been interrupted a few times. I'm going to save it right now, and then we'll come back uh, with uh, the second part of chapter 